Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species is 3CR's animal advocacy program. I'm Kate Elliott. Recently, Melbourne hosted the annual Australian Animal Activist Forum, and I'm happy to say I was able to make it to a number of the sessions in this year's. It was a very impressive program, very strong. Over the next hour, we'll be broadcasting one of the most popular sessions of the forum, and rightly so. It was Pam Ahern. That would be a name very familiar to local and international animal advocates. And hopefully today we can introduce her to the broader community. Pam is the founder and director of Farmed Animal Sanctuary Edgar's Mission right here in Victoria, Australia. Today we'll hear about her journey of self-discovery from animal lover to animal advocate as she explores the role of farm sanctuaries in the bigger picture of creating a kinder world for animals. When I was young and, and growing up, I didn't have a, a voice that was listened to. It was, it was never listened to. So thank you everyone for actually turning up here today. Thank you to the amazing volunteers who've made this activist forum happen at Animals Australia. I'd also like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, which were the original Aboriginal tribe who had the land that we are borrowing now. So I thank them, and I think everyone has made it possible. I'd like to start with a wonderful quote, and it sort of guides me in in what I've done, and it talks about a lot of the journey that I've been through and and why I do what I do today. And it's from a wonderful person called Henry Jatilla, and it says, One day your heart will stop beating. And none of your fears will matter. What will matter is how you lived. And that's what I look at now with with my life and how I've lived my life and and from where I started and where I am today. And my talk today is about sanctuary and and finding sanctuary. And when I go out and talk to some of the school children, I actually ask them, you know, can you tell me what a sanctuary is? And some bright spark will put their hand up and go, oh, it's 100 years, miss. And they go, no, no, that's a sanctuary. And then someone will go, oh, it's a place where people are buried. I go, no, no, that's a cemetery. A sanctuary is a holy place, a sacred place, a place of refuge or asylum. Uh, it's reserved an area in which animals are protected, a consecrated place where sacred objects are kept, a shelter from danger or hardship. And it's also a place, I think, where we all would like to inhabit, especially those that we share the world with, our animal friends. Now, when I was a young child, for as long as I can remember growing up in suburban Melbourne, I loved animals. I had two pets, uh, three pets actually, two cats, black and tiny and a lovely goofy Labrador named Laddie and they were my world and we would play in the backyard for hours, I'd even watch the bees, I was fascinated by bees and the natural world but to make my world complete I needed a pony in that backyard but we were city folk and we weren't particularly well off so a pony had to stay in my dreams for many many years but to quote my mother, the worst thing you can say to Pam is you can't And it wasn't because I was ever a belligerent child. I was actually an incredibly quiet and shy child. You'd never heard a peep out of me. But I loved to always test the boundaries of what I could do. 
and pushing the boundaries to get a pony. I was rewarded and I actually got a pony. My mum took me down to the local pony club and I had a pony of my very own and they always say, be careful what you wish for because I became a very, very successful equestrian. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I would travel around Australia going to horse shows, agricultural events and that's where I actually gained a lot of my knowledge with the farm animals I work with today. At the agricultural fairs I would always spend, when I wasn't on the horse's back, my time in there learning about cows and pigs and chickens and goats and cows and all sorts of other farmed animals. But that's me as a child there in my little jodhpurs with my little first pony, Jimmy. Loving animals as I did, I could never ever do enough for them. And when I was young, I came into the city one day and I saw a picture just like this one of a cat with electrodes in its head and I was absolutely horrified. I'd never seen anything so horrific in my life. And underneath it were the words, this is vivisection. I had to write it down because I could hardly even pronounce that word. And I went home that night to my mum and I saw this terrible poster. It had this cat with electrodes in its head and it said, this is vivisection. And I said, Mum, this is terribly cruel. Yeah, well, what is vivisection? She said, well, it's animal experimentation. I said, but why are they doing this to cats? Like, I couldn't imagine them doing this to my two beautiful cats, Blackie and Tiny. And Mum said, well, you know, they have to experiment on animals so they can find cures for human diseases. I said, that, that's really cruel. It, 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 it's really cruel. She said, well, you know, some things in life, you know, we have to do to, so we can have a good life. And that sort of placated me for a little while, but that cat with the electrodes never, ever, ever left me. And then when I actually became old enough to read newspapers, there was an article in the newspaper about cosmetic testing and who would get sent off for a list that talked about companies that didn't test on animals for household products and cosmetics. Oh, wow, this is the way I can help that poor old cat with the electrodes. If I get this list and I can start using cosmetics and household products and aren't tested on animals, that's one way I can improve the world for animals. And it was great. At the time, it was this little A4 sheet of paper printed on both sides, and that was all you could get. There wasn't many companies at the time that didn't test on animals. And one time when I got the list, because it was updated all the time, there was a little note on there about an anti-fur rally in Melbourne. And you could go along and I thought, well, fur's really cruel. We don't need to wear fur. We have so many other things we can wear that don't involve killing an animal. I thought, I want to go to this rally. So I rang up. And it was Animal Liberation in Melbourne and I spoke to a lady, God love her, her name was Judy Coward. I wish I could catch up with her today to thank her because that conversation that I had with her that day could have made or broke me as an animal advocate. She was kind. I said to Judy, look, I'd really love to come to the rally because I think fur's really cruel, but look, I'm really shy and, and I, I do eat meat. And she said, not you moron, meat is murder. She said, I want you to think about what's on your table. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do or what not to do. She said, I want you to think about what's on your table and how it gets there. You obviously care about animals. You're on your journey. So I went along to the rally. And I sort of mingled around the people talking. And I had my woolen skirt on and my leather shoes and my leather belt. Didn't think about the irony of what I was doing. And people were talking about this book called Animal Liberation. And I was sort of curious, but it had the word liberation in it. And my dad warned me about those liberationists, those wackos, weirdos, hippies, communists, sat on the hill smoking marijuana, and if you went up there, you're going to die. So, but it had the word animal in front of it. So that got me in. So I got a copy of the book, and I didn't get very far into the book. And Peter Singer was talking about a time when he was in England, and he went to the local chapter of the RSPCA. And they were talking about how they could better the world for animals. And they were going good at that. And then it came time for afternoon tea. And they served ham sandwiches. Yeah, I can hear your thoughts. And I thought, it's got a point. My life and my menu changed forever.
3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. I wasn't a very good vegan. I ran into someone about six months down the track who told me the word was actually vegan. I'd been pronouncing it wrong all that time. <laughs> That's how isolated I was living in country Victoria. The only non-dairy milk you could get was this powder stuff. It came in a box, you mixed it up with water, and it tasted absolutely disgusting. But there was no way I was going back because I knew what dairy meant to those beautiful little bobby calves who I loved so much but never knew or never connected the dots to how my choices were impacted upon them. Here I was saying I was this wonderful animal lover. I was involved in cat and dog rescue. My mother and I even set up the Central Highlands Animal Shelter. I was involved with wildlife rescue. Yet the largest number, the largest number of animals in human care, those that are who are farmed for food and fibre, had not only escaped my thoughts but also our animal protection legislation as well. But all that changed in that instant when I connected those dots. And I went through all sorts of different stages of activism and wanting to change the world and being the angry vegan. And in that journey, which was way before social media, way before GoFundMe pages, way before anyone could record all my travesties that I made, I actually learnt about what was the most effective way to help animals. I ventured into anti-vivisexual because it was very, very close to my heart. And I remember one time I went down to the Royal Melbourne Showgrounds with a petition asking people to sign so that we wouldn't be experimenting on dogs. It was a big dog show, and I thought, well, these are dog lovers. They will be against experimentation on dogs. No way. I remember the first lady I spoke to, and she said, oh, well, you know, I don't like cruelty to animals, and I love my dog, but I could never experiment on my dog, but it doesn't matter if it's another dog, if it was going to help. And so I tried a few more people. Some signed, some didn't sign, but this first lady was so angry with what I did, she marched off and got the head of the Kennel Control Council to come down and kick me off the showgrounds. And I saw the guy coming towards me in his suit, and I thought, oh, I'm in real trouble here. And I was so much far outside of my comfort zone as it was, going out into the public, approaching people, this incredibly shy person that I was was but what was pushing me was what was happening to animals right then right there on our watch and the guy come in his suit and he asked me what I was doing I actually explained to him what I was doing and he signed my petition and other people saw him sign my petition and they said well we'll sign as well and it just actually gave me the courage that if you actually put yourself out there and have the courage to say something you'll find that other people will actually find courage in your courage have you ever heard that wonderful Aesop's fable about the emperor's new clothes? It's a gorgeous tale about the child who says, look, the emperor's wearing no clothes. I go, shh, 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 And everyone goes, well, actually, you know, the kid's got a point. The emperor isn't wearing any clothes. And what we hear in the room today is saying, what is happening now to animals is not right. And at first we were ridiculed and people like the woman who hauled me off to the guy who she thought was going to kick me out. She said, well, hang on, these people do have a point. They have a really, really valid point and perhaps we should be listening to them. And there's so much change happening now, so much positive change happening for the way that we treat animals. It gives me so much confidence. Years ago, we would never have a forum like this. 
And we are, and it's growing. It tells me it's the most people have ever signed up for this forum. People looking for more ways that we can advocate for animals, and that is just so awesome. I think it's so awesome that you are here today looking at how you can better advocate for animals. And this is why I'm sharing with my journey all the different things that I've found. And it works for me. It might not necessarily work for you. And honestly, I have to say this, the easiest or the hardest way to save animals is to have a not-for-profit sanctuary for rescued farm animals. The easiest way to save farm animals is to stop eating them and encourage your friends and family to do the same as well. But my skills are with animals. My heart is with animals. And that's why I do what I do. But very early on in actually having the sanctuary, I realised that saving one animal is not enough. It's got to go beyond that because in a 100 years' time, people will still be just doing what I'm doing and that's not really advancing our cause. Now, one of the things that I think makes Australia so great are seatbelts. Well, Pam, what's that got to do with animals? It has absolutely everything. When I was young and we would go for rides in the country looking for animals, we never, ever wore a seatbelt. We never, ever wore a seatbelt. It wasn't because our family were rebel rousers and we wanted to thumb our noses at the law. It wasn't the law to have seatbelts in cars. What we did have in our society at the time was a horrific number of people being killed in car accidents, a horrific number of people suffering life-debilitating injuries as a result of car accidents. And our society said, this is terrible. Now, we're not going to get rid of cars because cars are cool and they help us. But we have to make car travel safer. And someone came up with the idea of seatbelts. And at first it was poo-pooed, it was going to be expensive, it was going to make car travel slower by the time we put the damn things on. They're going to be uncomfortable, they're going to look ugly. But the general wisdom was, we have to make car travel safer. And I am so glad they did. I am alive today because a seatbelt saved my life. Not long after I got my licence, I was driving in country Victoria, I rolled the car, which wasn't a good idea because I hadn't told my dad I'd actually taken the car, completely wrote the car off. Undid the seatbelt, fell on my head because I'd rolled the car upside down, walked away with a broken fingernail. I am so glad our society looked at what we're doing and said, we're better than this. We can do better. We can change our laws in Australia when society looks at what they're doing and says, we can do better. Our laws aren't carved in stone. Our laws reflect public thought. We can change our legislation about seatbelts. We can change our legislation about the way farmed animals are treated. When we tell our politicians we demand better, when we make better choices when we go to the supermarket, we can change the world. And seatbelts remind me of that every single day.
You're tuned to 3CR's Freedom of Species program, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves, and that was Natalie Merchant with her tune, Kind and Generous. Appropriate for today's program where we're hearing a talk that was originally presented at a recent forum that was held in Melbourne. It was the Australian Animal Activist Forum. Next year, I believe it's going to be held in Adelaide, so stay tuned to that. They do have Facebook page, so maybe uh, if you like their Facebook page, you'll keep up to date for next year's forum. Today's talk is one that was presented by Pam Ahern. She is the founder and director of Farmed Animal Sanctuary Edgar's Mission right here in Victoria. We'll now return to her presentation. Now, in 2003, something pretty damn amazing happened in my life. It wasn't so much a something as a someone, and you know who that someone was, a dashing, debonair, witty, wise, charismatic pig I came to love and adore and whom I named Edgar Allan Pig. And I never, ever brought this pig into my world with the idea of starting this sanctuary. It was really this organic thing that literally grew and grew and grew, pretty much like Edgar Allan Pig. This is why he came into our world for a photo opportunity with James Cromwell. It's funny how sometimes the stars align and and bring you to a place where you need to be. We had uh, the opportunity to raise awareness about the plight of farmed animals, the code of practice that makes legal all the things that we do to farm animals now, was being reviewed. And we had the opportunity to speak to the public and tell them what was happening. They had the opportunity to speak up for pigs. It was 2003, the Save Babe campaign, which I'm sure many of you are aware of, had just got off and running. We needed a pig for a photo shoot with a journalist and James Cromwell. I approached one of the children's farm for a line of a pig for the photo shoot. And they said, sure, it'll cost you $150. And I said, well, pigs, one, I didn't have $150 to spare. And two, I have a huge problem with children's farms. And I don't believe that they are honest with the children and what happens to animals. And if you've ever been to a children's farm, I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about, the proliferation of cute baby animals, not too many older animals, and a luncheon menu that serves bacon and eggs. You get what I'm talking about. So I said, I will procure a pig, and I did, and that was my beautiful Edgar Allen. I got him the day before a photo shoot. I remember my mum and I madly trying to clean him in the house. He was covered in poop. He stunk. And when pigs get upset, they actually... They fart. They break wind. They're not that much different from us. And here he was farting his little head off. The kitchen was stinking to high heaven and mum and I were trying to get him really clean. He hated us. He hated us. But he fell in love with my little dog, E.T. And that was actually my saving grace because the next day when we went to uh, do the photo shoot, we, my friend and I, it's so funny, I think about it now, we, we parked. We couldn't get a park where we had to go, so we parked way down the street. We had him in the pet carrier. We wheeled him down the street in the pet carrier. And when we got in the front yard, we took him out of the pet carrier and he just followed my little dog, E.T., around and E.T. followed me. And the journalist and James were just fascinated with my pig handling techniques that I had only got the pig yesterday and you have taught this pig to walk on a lead. You are amazing, woman. You are amazing. And James got really excited about this. He goes, oh, I know. We'll do an action on the steps of Parliament House in a fortnight. He was here making a film and he was getting all the famous people he was working with, sign these postcards, calling them in for sale stalls and... Um, Castrania piglets without any insatiable or pain relief and cutting off their teeth, all these horrible things against pigs. These were going to sign these postcards and James was going to march up the steps of Parliament House here in Victoria with Edgar Allan Pig in tow and deliver them to our Minister of Ag. Yes, we all thought this is awesome. Now I've actually got to teach the pig to walk on a leaf for real. So <laughs> there I went 
down to my local park. Now, that's a lot larger version than he was when he walked up the steps of Parliament House. But um, I would take Edgar and E.T. for the walk in the park. And I'd have Edgar on one side and little dog E.T. on the other. And honestly, people came from everywhere to see my pig. In my early days of activism, when I had my petition there and people were calling people to get me kicked out, I knew how hard it was to get interest from anyone to your cause. But you go down to your local park with a pig and people come from everywhere. They're actually stopping the car, they're patiently standing in line, wondering, what's the go with the pig? And Edgar turned out to be the most amazing pig who actually did love people. The one thing he loved more than people was actually belly rubs. And they would rub his tummy and go, 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 go. And then he'd flop on his side like this little epileptic pig. And he was just outrageous. And people fell in love with him. And they would say, oh, my God, I can never eat bacon again. I had no idea. Pigs were so friendly, so affectionate, knew their name. I could talk to us blue in the face about what we're doing with pigs, but Edgar... He spoke to their heart. And one of the things I always say when I speak to audiences, I don't just take to you guys because you're already there, but I will never tell people what to do or what not to do. One, I don't have the authority. And two, I've got no guarantee that you'll do it. But if somehow I can speak to your heart and you'll be like me, sticking with that disgusting, right, powdered stuff that was called soy milk, because you'll believe it and you will live it no matter how hard it is. So this started me thinking about the best ambassadors for changing the way people think about farmed animals are the animals themselves. To give these animals a sanctuary where they can live and for people to come and meet these animals, to learn what their lives are really like and then for people to go away and decide for themselves how they think these animals should live. And that's how Edgar thought he should live. I can't tell you how much I absolutely adore that pig. I often wonder, look, what if he had been this horrible, grumpy pig who, who didn't like me? But the universe didn't have that plan. He had the plan for this most amazing bond between a girl and her pig. It's emblazoned in our logo everywhere. And it's actually really interesting. It just sort of dawned on me then as I was actually speaking. Has anyone seen the film The Last Pig? It's a really good one. You might even be able to get it online. It's about Bob Commerce, who was a pig farmer in America, a free-range pig farmer in America. And he actually went through this, this epiphany through actually working with his pigs. And he actually decided he didn't want to farm pigs anymore. He thought he would get into free-range pig farming to give the pigs a better life. And he thought he could give them this wonderful life. And the pigs did have an awesome life on Bob Commerce's farm. But they still had the same terrible death that your factory farm pigs had as well. And Bob came to realise this with those pigs and he actually got out of pig farming. He exited the industry and it's really easy for us to go and make a different dietary choice at the supermarket. But when your livelihood, when your family's livelihood depends on you doing those things to animals, it's really, really hard to walk away from it. But Bob did it. And actually the logo for Bob Commerce is in the last pig. It's actually a guy and his pigs. There you go. That's what happens when you let a pig into your heart and home. <laughs> if ever you're fortunate to come to Edgar's Mission, I know some of you have actually been to Edgar's Mission, some of you have volunteered at Edgar's Mission, and I thank you so much for that. You'll see this. It's the very, very first quote you'll find on the kindness trail. And it says, Many have forgotten this truth, but you must never forget it. You remain responsible forever for what you have tamed. And it's no accident that that's there. A lot of the other quotes are randomly placed around the sanctuary, but this is the very, very first quote, and I insisted that this be our first quote. It sets the whole tone for humanity's relationship with the animal kingdom. 10,000 years ago, when those wolves started hanging around the campfire of man and kicked off the domestication of animals, irrevocably changed our lives. 
We got to sleep a bit more. We got to hunt a bit more. We started our evolution of where we are today. From the wolf, we have all these wonderful different breeds of dogs that we have domesticated. We have tamed. But how responsible have we been in doing that? You know, several years ago, there was a wonderful show on, on SBS. I think it was called Bread to Death or Pedigree's Dogs Exposed. It talked about the way that pedigree dogs have actually been bred to have these genetic faults who are actually rewarded with blue ribs in the show because we think it looks kind of cool. You know, the pugs with the squashed up noses. You know, that's a respiratory problem. Like they have difficulty breathing. We think it looks kind of cool. Rhodesian Ridgebacks with a genetic defect and the ones that don't have the defect are actually cult. Beautiful German Shepherds who I love dearly. I had them when I was growing up after Laddie passed away that now suffer hip dysplasia only a couple of months old because we think it looks kind of good to have this big floating movement. And as a result of that program, the Kennel Control Council, the guy who came and told me off, they're actually looking now at the way that they're breeding dogs to breed away from these genetic defects that are causing these animals to suffer. And that's awesome. That's really good. They're actually looking about what we are doing to animals because we're responsible for what you've tamed. Unfortunately, not too many people are looking about what we have done to modern broiler chickens. We're actually looking at ourselves and slapping ourselves on the back. Hey, we can get them to slaughter weight in 35 days. Isn't that awesome? And we're even looking now at breeding chickens without feathers so we don't have to pluck them. Isn't that awesome? Well, no, it's not awesome. And the public actually, when they're starting to find out about these things and having opportunities through sanctuaries, which are popping up all over Australia, getting a chance to meet these beautiful birds, seeing that they are so much more than a chicken nugget. And what we are doing to these animals is just as worthy of our consideration and kindness as what we're doing to those domestic dogs. We are all on this evolutionary trajectory of what we are doing to these animals. We are responsible for what we have tamed. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. So I'm a storyteller. I tell the stories of these animals. And now I should share with you some of these stories that I've told. And this is Frosty. And if anyone got to hear a little Frosty the Snow Goat, he really touched the hearts of people around the world. And I think it's because we see in these animals part of ourselves, the will to live, to beat those incredible odds that life has stacked against you. And that's what Frosty tried his goddamn hardest to do. And we know he didn't make it. But maybe you only needed a short while on this earth to touch the hearts of millions of people and remind us that simple acts of kindness can change the world for animals and ourselves. Because the more we exercise kindness, the kinder we will be. And when we extend that kindness to others, it doesn't matter what they look like. You know, one of the greatest evolutionary determinants of our ethical progress as a society has been our ability to embrace those we once considered different. It was the colour of the skin. It was the religion someone followed. Even women, a hundred years ago, we didn't even have the vote. Now animals are pushing that evolutionary thought of how far we extend our kindness. And I think farmed animals, the ones that we farm for food and fibre, are really pushing us. And we start looking at our legislation that we have that discriminates against them. I know when I was young and I was growing up, I took great comfort that our society cared deeply about animals. It's enshrined in legislation. The Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. Awesome. But then, 
I found about these things called codes of practice. Not so awesome. We've been guilty of playing favourites, treating animals not on their abilities to suffer. We treat animals on things that make us feel comfortable about the way that we treat them. We don't want to think about pigs as being intelligent beings that like maybe going for walks on lead, maybe not going for walks on lead, maybe having a bath, maybe not having a bath. Having a life with interest is something we don't want to ascribe to farm animals, but people are now starting to think about these things and I just think it's so wonderful that we can have these conversations. And little goats like Frosty, it was an absolute privilege to have him in my life and yeah, he did take a part of it. He absolutely took a part of it. Leon Trotsky, big part of it as well. You might remember Leon and little Frosty came about the same time and they used to share their little um, wheels together. This is little Leon Trotsky. And the story of Leon Trotsky reminds me of the goodness of a human heart. Leon Trotsky was born on a free-range pig farm and a neighbour heard about his mother who had an injury herself and she crushed some of her piglets. Two of them were killed. Trotsky crushed his hip and he damaged his thigh and his femur. He was in a really bad way and he screamed. Pigs had this incredible scream. It's like someone's killing a pig. And the neighbour heard him screaming and she went to find out what was going on and the farmer said well look you know the mum's just killed a couple of the bubs and you know this little piglet he's, he's gonna have to hit him on the head as well she goes oh no don't do that don't 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 I don't want him to die I see him suffering I see another living being suffering and I don't want him to die this is the goodness of the human heart that doesn't want to see suffering and she took the little pig home and she realised that she couldn't care for him, so she contacted us and asked us if we could take on Trotsky. So we did. We had no idea he was going to become the outrageous pig. He is there today. <laughs> um, meets everyone at the sanctuary with a little bit of a grunt. He was actually named Huffington's Post's most influential animal of 2015. Leon Trotsky, a little pig who would have otherwise died on a farm, but someone heard his plight. And I tell you, that just gives me the greatest of hope. People often ask me, how can you go on, Pam, when you see so much sadness in the world? It is those little glimmers of hope. And I see more of them coming every single day when people see these animals as individuals, not as a statistic, but as an individual animal who very much wants to live. Now, this is one that you may not have seen. And honestly, she was just so beautiful. Her name was Miss Marple. And this is her here, the day that I rescued her. And this is her several months later. And just the transformation, just through kindness and looking after this beautiful cow. She sadly, she has passed away now, but she got to live her last years in peace. She never had to have another baby. She never had to do anything. Just walk around the farm. Absolutely beautiful cow. I just absolutely adore her. All these animals. You know, people say, you must have a big heart, Pam. I think I must have to fit all these animals in it. <laughs> And, of course, the beautiful, the most beautiful Clarabelle and her baby, Valentine. And I'm sure many of you have heard the story of Clarabelle and Valentine, but not so much you might be aware of the backstory. I'm sure everyone here in this room, I don't have to tell you the story of Bobby Cups. We all know the story of Bobby Cups and their big, beautiful eyes. One of the worst days of my life is actually when I go to the Bobby Cups house and I see the little tiny Bobby Cups there and I have to walk away. And we all empathise with these beautiful baby animals and their big doughy eyes that have been ripped away from their mothers. I think a part of us also were crying for ourselves because we didn't know we were contributing to the suffering of these animals. People are very aware of that, but we tend to forget about the mothers. Whatever happens to the mothers? 
And I've made a pledge to every animal I've had to walk away that I can't say is that I will tell your story. And many years ago, I made a pledge to dairy cows that I will tell your story. And along my journey, I actually befriended a lady who works in the dairy industry and I said, look, if ever there's an opportunity to rescue a dairy cow, I would love to rescue a dairy cow. And the opportunity came up and she said, well, there's two cows there, you can take one of the dairy cows. And um, I said, I can't, I can't choose, I'll take them both. So it's Clarabelle and Valentine. And they actually were on the way to be slaughtered. They were pregnant. And we tend to think about, we don't think about the mothers, we forget about the mothers and all of this. And it was just so wonderful actually to get these two mother cows to come to the sanctuary. And I knew they were pregnant. And I knew that they were going to give birth at the sanctuary. And I knew that they were going to get to keep their babies. And it was just the most joyous thing in the world. The other cow um, was her friend and it was Daphne. And Daphne was the biggest Holstein cow I have ever seen. She was so big and so huge. And the day she gave birth, it was on Australia Day, and that's what we called the baby Aussie, she turned in from this gentle cow to the Godzilla of cows. One of our volunteers came and said, oh, quick, you know, Daphne's given birth, come and see the baby. So he raced out there to see the baby, thinking that she'd be this gentle cow and then pat the baby. She, <laughs> she wanted to kill us. And, of course, we all know why she wanted to kill us, because every one of her babies had been taken away by a species just as mine. Clarabelle, well, she hid her baby. She hid her baby in the forest because she was scared and her baby was going to be taken away as every one of her babies had been taken away before. And when I tell these stories, I can tell the story about dairy cows and taking mothers away and separating babies, but when I tell the story about Clarabelle and the incredible lengths that she went to to save her baby, it touches hearts and minds. And people say, I never thought about that before. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, cows produce milk for their baby. But what happens to the baby? And then what happens to the mother cow when she stopped producing milk? And people make these connections themselves. I liken it a bit like a river. And if you've got a dry river and the water hasn't passed down there, it doesn't know which path it's going to make. But the more the water flows down that river, the more the pathway becomes established. The more people start thinking about farmed animals and what happens to them, the more the pathways in their brains become established to consider these animals and to think about them every time they sit down to eat. And for many, I see it results in kinder choices because I really think that the human heart is programmed to care it is programmed to care. We've just become so desensitised to the suffering of others and this all-about-me generation. But it can change. It can and it will change because it is what is going to ensure our survival on this planet. If we just become isolated and think of ourselves as an island and only think about you know, our, our family and our closest people to it, there's, there's no survival, there's no trust. And that is not a good way to live. And, of course, no talk I could ever give would be complete without this little dude. And that is, this little guy is Little Red Baron. Has anyone heard of Red Baron? Anyone heard of Red Baron? Yeah. He's very sorry he couldn't come here today, but um, they wouldn't let him in the door. I, I, I love that little um, boy. You actually might remember back into the first picture, or one of the early pictures you saw of Edgar Allan Pig and myself with the beautiful white rooster there. That was Chikun. And he was the first rooster to show me how affectionate roosters can be. He actually came from a school hatching project from a lovely, lovely family um, there in Melbourne. And they took him home and he turned into a rooster, as, as roosters do, but they didn't know he was going to turn into a rooster. And when he did, he started crowing and then they, the council came around and said, you've got to get rid of this rooster. And these people love this rooster. 
They adored their little rooster and they were horrified that he was going to be killed. They contacted the RSPCA and the RSPCA said, well, look, we can, we can take him, but it'll be $15 to euthanise him because no one wants roosters. And they hunted around and they found out about us and they didn't have a car. I remember they got a tram in Melbourne and he came in a birdcage and we met them somewhere in the city here and Chikwin came with a list of what Chikwin liked and what Chikwin didn't like. And this family had actually found these personalities of this little animal and he had all these lists of likes and the only thing he didn't like it was when boxes fell on top of him and he couldn't see where he was going. <laughs> but this family, they connected with this rooster. And again, it reminds me that the power of changing the way people think about farmed animals are the animals themselves. Chikwin had an incredibly profound impact upon this, this family. And... It also makes it very important to me that we can get good outcomes for these people. Because I think, you know, if Chikwin had have been killed, a part of their heart would have had to shut down to, to cope with that. And if you can imagine if every male puppy or every male kitten was killed simply because they were male, our society would never, ever tolerate it. Yet we do it every day of the week for roosters in the egg-laying industry and pretty much it happens with all the ones that hatch out in chicken hatching projects. It's one of my pet projects that I really want to actually see ended in my lifetime as an end to chicken hatching projects. Red Baron actually came from the egg-laying industry. Him and his little bratty there, Biggles, they were gassed and they were frozen. They were sold off as snake food. When they got to their destination, they actually both were awake and still very much alive and the person was, oh my God, again, goodness of the human heart, couldn't do anything to the rooster, was horrified while it happened. They came to us. Sadly, little Biggles, he was so affected by the gassing and being frozen that he passed away hours after arriving. But little Chikwin, he didn't. And he wanted to bond with someone. And he sat under there on my hair. And um, he used to ride around on my shoulder. And that was his comfort on sitting under my hair. And that's why he loved sitting on, under my hair. And sometimes on my hat as well. Uh, he became very instrumental in helping me around the office and just reminded me of how individual these animals are and how passionate I am to share their stories with the world. These individual stories allows me to speak for the ones that we cannot save because there are so many animals. There are so many animals out there who need saving that I can't possibly save them all. But by sharing their stories and encouraging people to think and connect with the goodness of the human heart, that is when I think change will happen. And there's, there's Red there having a little bit of a ride on the bike and we've got Vet Nurse Ruby helping as well. And there's Red help, helping there with... Um, <laughs> Violently helping there with a bit of... Um, well, I have to call him Vet Nurse Red Baron, actually, there. <laughs> and then he's actually coming along with me for um, talks and entertaining the public. See, someone let him in there. That was at AGL, which is not far from here in the city. And honestly, I don't think the people ever actually remembered anything I said, but they certainly remembered about this quirky rooster that sat on her shoulder and flapped his wings a lot. And that actually gave me a chance to talk about roosters. And they could pat red, and you, you scritch him under here, and he goes, oh, that's really good. And he shuts his eyes, and to actually see this rooster responding to the touch of human kindness spoke volumes beyond anything I could ever say about the lives of these animals that the people in that room never, ever, ever considered. And there he is, still big, and he still loves for going for rides on the bike. And I actually recently wrote a story about one day uh, when he came to have dinner at my mum's, and he loved going for dinner at my mum's, and just sitting on the table, and that actually got shared by the Huffington Post. Now, that story went around the world and was read by thousands and thousands and thousands of people who now know about a rooster called Red Baron who likes having spaghetti at my mother's house. <laughs> and I just think that is so awesome that actually people want to hear what I have to say. But it's not what I have to say. It's my voice is from the animals because they are so voiceless. They are so vulnerable. They really are at our mercy. They are our greatest challenge. 
We can be tempted to profit from their suffering or benefit from their body parts or we can rise to the occasion and to be the best that we can possibly ever be and that's kind and merciful and good. And I see that in all of you people here today as being advocates for the animals like Red and I cannot ever thank you enough for that. And there he is again there. Gosh, he's handsome. He's so handsome. <laughs> and of course, no talk I could ever give would be complete without oh. vetness, Ruby. <laughs> and so I'll go out somewhere and someone might, they won't say, how are you, Pam? They go, oh, how's vetness, Ruby? They go, she's doing really well and so am I, but, but how's vetness, Ruby? And again, this, this dog who would have been shot. And it is really just wonderful, these stories and how much, you know, you see yourself in these animals. This chap, he got Ruby, a purebred working Kelpie. He paid $1,000 for her and he got Ruby. She never wanted to work the sheep and he actually bit the living daylights out of her. She was so absolutely terrified she would wet herself. He was so angry that he'd spent $1,000 on this dog who wouldn't have a bar of working the sheep. He took her around to his mate to shoot. And if anyone's been to Edgar's mission, you'll know what Ruby did next. As soon as she saw him, she jumped up on him. And he looked into her eyes and he couldn't shoot her. So he brought her around to us. And I saw this dog. And look, if you look sideways at her, she would wet herself. And I thought, gosh, what are we going to do with this dog? I thought, well, well um, having all those years in cat and dog rescue that I had, I thought, well, well, we'll get her fattened up and we'll find a home for her because she's, you know, she was a nice dog. Ruby actually found her calling at the sanctuary as a tour guide. And people would come to the sanctuary and she'd immediately just run up to them. She didn't care what anyone looked at. So non-judgmental. So sharing of her love with everybody that she had found her calling. We, we didn't have the heart to tell her that we were actually thinking of ever finding a home for her because she'd found a home. She had found sanctuary at Edgar's mission. As so many of the beautiful animals have found sanctuary with us. And this is another one. This, these, these two actually came to me Friday night. Uh, when I was madly supposed to be working on my talk, I got a call from a wonderful lady who's done quite a few rescues around our area. And she'd seen this poor you and this little lamb suffering. And she managed to get the farmer to release the two. I've called her Muffy and Duffy. Um, Muffy is the mum. I was I was in a hurry. I was really pushed for names. <laughs> They've got to have a name. I can't say initial names. So it's Muffy and little Bubba Duffy. And, and Muffy just absolutely adores adores that baby. I don't know which way it's going to go for Muffy. She is so emaciated. She is so skinny. Um, she's put every ounce of her being into trying to save her little baby Duffy. Duffy's really skinny. I've never seen a lamb more emaciated than Duffy. But I'm pleased to say that we've actually stopped his diarrhea and he's actually he's feeding quite well. When um, Muffy came in, we put her on a, a drip straight away and we had her on the weigh scales weighing her and we took the baby off to try and clean the baby. It was covered in feces. And I, I dried the baby off and I was actually going to put the, um, the towel in um, that I dried the baby off to put the baby on so it could go and stay with its mother. And as soon as I put the towel in with the, with the mother, she could smell her baby on the towel and she was going nuts on the towel looking for where her baby was. And you can see there just the, the love that she's got with her beautiful baby. So hopefully I'm going to tell you a good story there. And as you can see, this shot here, this is, this is the view I have every day I wake up from my room. I actually live in a loft above the barn and these are some quick dodgy photos I just took this morning out my window and this is what I get to look at every single day. I wake up at Edgar's Mission and I remind him actually in finding sanctuary for these animals, I've actually found sanctuary for myself because I've actually been able to find my voice and overcome my greatest fear and is actually standing up in public talking to people. And it's sometimes actually when you are pushed to your limits, you'll actually find your place where you needed to be. And that's at Edgar's mission. Thank you so much.
Thanks for tuning in to Freedom of Species today. On the program, we heard from Pam Ahern and her presentation at the recent Animal Activist Forum. Pam Ahern is the founder and director of the Farmed Animal Sanctuary Edgar's Mission. If you'd like to know more about Edgar's Mission, and there's a lot to learn and to find out about, it's best to um, visit their website. So there's a lot of information there, um, a lot of incredibly gorgeous photos and videos. You can also um, find out about volunteering, donating, or maybe purchasing some of their goodies from their very well-stocked online shop. And as it would happen, uh, they are launching the Edgar's Mission Cooking with Kindness cookbook tomorrow, so Monday the 30th of October, at uh, the Cruelty Free Shop in Melbourne. So if you're in Melbourne around about 10.30, it goes from 10.30 to 12 o'clock, be sure to pop into the Cruelty Free Shop at 124 Johnson Street. There'll be uh, cruelty-free drinks and snacks and you can purchase the Cooking with Kindness cookbook right there and then and you'll be able to um, catch up with Pam as well. If you're interested in the Animal Activist Forum, they also have a website and a Facebook page and best to like their Facebook page so you keep informed. I know that the forum will be held in Adelaide next year so make sure um, you save the date once it's been released and um, head over interstate if you are from Melbourne. Um, Also remember that Freedom of Species also has a website and a Facebook page and also you can subscribe to the program via iTunes. If you've got any show suggestions make sure that you email us we'd love to hear from you info at freedomofspecies.org Uh, If you don't have a pen handy, just visit um, either the Facebook page or the website and we've got our contact details there. I'm going to leave you now with a tune from Mia Dyson. Uh, And this one's When the Moment Comes. If you love her music, and it's hard not to, she is going to be doing a fundraiser for the Thin Green Line. So the Thin Green Line supports wildlife rangers around the world and we have um, interviewed Sean Wilmore who is the founder and director of Thin Green Line on Freedom of Species in the past so you can go to our website and listen to the programs. Importantly they've got the fundraiser with Mia Dyson coming up. It is going to be um, on the 25th of November 7pm to 10pm. Tickets are around about $50.00. Um, and it's at Balnearing. So visit the Thin Green Line website. Probably easy just to Google that. And um, make sure you support a fantastic organisation while listening to some amazing tunes. This is a little teaser. Mia Dyson, When the Moment Comes. See you again next week. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.